Satan, which is what we covered last week. But uh, as we get into the message later, we're going to want to be we're going to be grateful for this running start. Hebrews chapter one, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Our Father, we ask that as we have gathered this morning in your presence, truly in every mind and heart here, we would understand that we are in your presence. And you are with us, you are devoted to us, your attention is fixed on us in order to show us more of what, who you are and what your ways are. We ask that today, when this time together has drawn to a close, we will know that we have been in the presence of the true and living God who has disclosed more of the reality of who he is to us than when we came. We ask this of you, Good Shepherd, Rabbi Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 
1. We read all of Hebrews chapter 1 to open the service. And that was because we covered that last week in the message. And I wanted to give us that running start. So in order to amplify that, I'm going to step back into chapter 1 again, just two verses, because we're going to be dealing today with chapter 2. And so I'm going to read from 1.13 to the close of chapter 2. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the words spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For the For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he might by that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. 
Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. There's a lot there. There is a lot there. Let me remind you of last week's introduction to this letter. The author, we won't go into this anymore again, the author is Barnabas, the companion of Paul. That is the testimony of the early church, the uniform, unargued testimony. Barnabas wrote this letter to a series of congregations in North Africa. When Barnabas and Mark separated from Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas went to southern Europe, what is modern-day Turkey, Greece, Macedonia, and so forth, to confirm the ministry that Paul and Barnabas had done there. Barnabas and his nephew, Mark, went in another direction. Well, the only other real direction to go to would be to North Africa, which was also part of the Roman Empire. They went to North Africa, and they ministered to Jewish populations, principally in North Africa. And there was a great turning to Jesus amongst those people, a great turning to Jesus, and they embraced Christ, and he embraced them back. They walked in his fullness, but they also walked in an environment of great hostility. There was opposition to them, both from within the Jewish community, and of course they're offending the Roman authority, because after all, they won't worship the emperor. (laughs) So there's hostility, and this letter is being written several years later by Barnabas from Italy back to these congregations. And what has happened to them? They have become discouraged. Their hands are hanging down. Their knees have become weak. They they have been assaulted and assaulted and assaulted. And they are weak. And they are being tempted to, they are being drawn into a Jewish cult. A Jewish cult that actually elevated the worship of angels. Why would they be attracted to that? Because anything that creates a, uh, the message of the gospel, that messes with the message of the gospel, that diminishes it, that adds to it, causes a reduction in the persecution. So instead of maintaining their steadfast, clear expression of the gospel in their communities, which they had been doing, they're now becoming discouraged, and they're seeking relief from the persecution by joining up with this cult so the persecution will decline. That's the real motivation. Everything that Barnabas is saying to them about the silliness, frankly, (laughs) of what this cult elevates They already know it. They know it. He's telling them things they already know, but he's making the point, you know this, I know this, so stop it. Yes, you are being persecuted, and no, I am not minimizing the reality of that, but what I am saying is it will always be worth it. What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they rejoice, when they, excuse me, when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Would you like to share in the blessings that you know will come to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Moses? And Oh, yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. Isaiah got stuffed in a hollow log and sawn in two. Jeremiah got kidnapped and taken to Alexandria, Egypt, where he was killed by Jews who were in defiance of his ministry. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for so they persecuted the prophets before you. Would you like to enjoy Jeremiah's reward, Isaiah's reward? Yes, you would. Chapter 1, he has dealt with this issue. He has picked up and started on the issue of the angels. Nothing wrong with the angels. The angels didn't, well, I won't say they didn't do anything, anything wrong. They actually did rebel. Lucifer led a third of the angels in a rebellion against God. They're the ones we call demons. Daimon is a Greek word meaning a divine being. The pagans are worshiping fallen angels. They're worshiping demons. You go to India today, 33 million Hindu gods and goddesses. What are they? They're fallen angels. They're demons. They're divine beings. Don't worship them. By contrast, who is Jesus? He is God come in the flesh. He is God come in the flesh. When the angels announced his birth to the shepherds, they came to Bethlehem to that stable where he was born and they worshiped him. Two years later, when the, or three years later, when the Magi showed up from the Middle East and said to Herod the Great, Hey, we have come to worship your Messiah. What? What are you talking about? What are you, wait, 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 wait. Oh, yeah, we saw his angel, excuse me, we saw his star while we were in the east, and God made known to us that the Messiah had been born, so here we are to worship him. And it says all of Jerusalem was freaked out. It wasn't just three guys, folks. It doesn't say in the Bible there were just three, three, three magi. It talks about the three gifts, three of the gifts that they brought, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But there was a whole, they were a band of men, wealthy men, riding Persian Arabian horses, <laughs> not camels. And they have a heavy, uh, I would say a, a strong band of uh, men, armed men with them. And Herod the Great said, he asked the prophets, where, does, where, where am I supposed to send these guys to find Messiah? Well, it does say in Isaiah that he will be born in Bethlehem. And so they go to Bethlehem and they find Jesus in the house, not the stable. This is a couple of years later. In the house and they go in and they worship him. That's the word that's used in Matthew's gospel. They worshiped him. And then they were warned by God and went out another way. But this is Jesus of Nazareth, is God come in the flesh, worthy of worship. 
to which of the angels, chapter 1, verse 13, to which of the angels has he, God the Father, ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? When Jesus ascended into heaven, he went to the right hand of the Father. That means he became the day-to-day administrator of God's kingdom. It was God the Father handing off the authority to God the Son. To which of the angels did he ever, had, has he ever said, and this is quoting from the Hebrew Scriptures, prophetically, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. By the way, that is yet to come. At his second coming, Jesus' enemies will be made his footstool. Are they, the angels, not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? They're being attracted to a cult that says we should be worshiping angels. And Barnabas is saying, what? What nonsense? They're your servants. They've been sent to serve him and you. Are they not all ministering, serving spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? If you've entrusted yourself to what Jesus did for you on the cross, that's you. The angels are to serve you, not the other way around. Therefore, chapter 2, verse 1, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. What does a weakening Christian life look like when we, we've all witnessed this within ourselves, we've witnessed it in other people making forthright, powerful, strong, unrestrained commitments to the Lord Jesus, and then we see in ourselves one or two or three weeks or months or years later, oh, how did I get here? What happened to my commitment? What happened to my commitment? We drift away. In order to walk with Christ in all of his benefits, in all of his provision, in all of his guidance, in all of his blessing. He asks one thing of us. Be loyal to me. Spend time with me. Jesus is a person who wishes to spend time with us. His Father wishes to spend time with us. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father in heaven. Not, oh, you distant God sitting on some throne in some immeasurably distant place. No, our Father. God seeks deep, heartfelt fellowship with us, and we ought to seek it back with Him. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Our tendency is to drift away. We have to, by God's help, put a discipline on ourselves to not drift away, to not choose today to to follow some other task. You know, it's amazing. Whenever I commit to sitting down and spending time in God's Word, all of a sudden all those things that I've been setting off and delaying doing all of a sudden become emergency things I have to tend to. (laughs) And God's word takes second place. Time with God takes second place or third place or fourth place. No, 
first place. Keep it first place. Don't drift away. We must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, he's talking about that which came to Israel on Mount Sinai. Moses went up onto Mount Sinai and received the law. And we're told in Deuteronomy 33, they saw a massive spectacle of angelic glory. It says in Deuteronomy 33, which is Moses' last message to the people before he was taken into God's presence, accompanying that was was the presence of ten thousands of his holy ones. Now the word is saints, but it's holy ones. Not talking about human beings. They saw the Jewish peoples at the base of Mount Sinai saw an incredible display of angelic glory. If they failed there and they had a responsibility to respond to that God whose presence was accompanied by this display of angelic glory, how much more with us who have seen the Son? We must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels, that Sinai message proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. What did God do? Hey, folks, you read through what happened while Moses was on Mount Sinai. He was there for 40 days, and a lot of the Jewish fellows came to Aaron and said, hmm, and they're seeing lightning flashing. I mean, they're seeing this incredible... How could anybody survive that? Aaron, we don't think he's coming back. We don't know about this God that just, you know, destroyed Egypt and parted the waters of the Red Sea for us. Why don't you make an idol, a calf out of gold, and we will worship that calf. And we will... What did God do? Tens of thousands were killed. God takes himself seriously. He takes our commitment to him seriously. If that was the case, when they saw what they saw in Sinai, how much more our responsibility who have seen the Son, the S-O-N, Son, who came and did all these mighty miracles before the eyes. We received the message from the people who witnessed all these things. If you think their responsibility was great, and it was, how much greater is your responsibility? How much greater is my responsibility, says the writer? Lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward... How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Moses came down off the mountain, and what did he do? He read the Ten Commandments to them. Do this, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and they're... (laughs) The law, the law, the law. What's the message to us from God the Son? Mercy, grace, 
forgiveness, love. If you think their responsibility for Sinai was great, how much more is your responsibility to his grace message? For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, a deliverance which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, meaning Jesus, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, the apostles, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. It wasn't just a rumor we heard from one mouth to this ear to that mouth. No, (coughs) there were confirming signs. There were confirming signs. Just this last the last couple of weeks on Wednesday, we're going through the book of Acts. And here, what do Moses, Mo, uh, not Moses, Peter and John are walking into the temple. And here is a man who has been lame from his birth. He's in his 40s. He's never walked. And he's sitting there begging. He's been there for decades. Everybody knows him. And Peter says to him, Silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I will give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, rise and walk. And he takes him by the right hand, and that man stands up, and for the first time in his life, he's walking, he's leaping, he's racing around, he is bouncing all over the place, and he goes into the temple with them, and Peter preaches the message to the people, and they all know a great miracle has happened, and 5,000 people step into the kingdom. That's just one of the signs that was done. For, ha- for he has not put the world to come, of which we speak in subjection to angels. What kind of a blessing does God purpose to step you into? He plans to share. The scripture says, Revelation chapter 1, he made us, he, Jesus, made us kings and priests to his God and Father. A priest is someone who has the right the right to walk into the presence of the holy God with no restraint. A king is someone who shares in God's own rule. God has lifted us up, us creatures of dust, and said, I'm elevating you above the angels to share in my rule, to be gladly welcomed into my presence. He has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place, and again, quoting from the Hebrew Scriptures, Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is a human being that you are... Lord, why are you even paying attention to us? What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. The psalmist is talking about humanity in general. 
You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him above the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. That's God's purposed future role for all of us who have entrusted ourselves to Christ's redemptive work. For in that he put all in subjection under him, and left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus. Aha! The forerunner, the one who is leading the charge. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death. He became a human being perfect in his humanity in order that he might pay sin's penalty for us on the cross. We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father the place of authority and the glory that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. He took the judgment that we deserved upon himself so that his Holy Father would have perfect freedom to forgive us and to embrace us and to welcome us into his presence. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom all are, are all things, in bringing many sons to glory. This is God the Father. He is the one who incited the creation, who incited all of this. For whom are all things, by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Jesus is the captain of our salvation. By the way, let me remind you, the word sons in the first century Roman Greek world meant an heir. It was the legal term for an heir, whether you were a male or a female, down at the county courthouse, if you were an heir, you were called a son. And bringing many sons, many heirs to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Nobody can turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've, you don't know what I've, I've gone through. <laughs> no, Jesus has been in every situation we will ever find ourselves in and more and more. He made the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who sets us apart, that word sanctifies is the same word that can be, we could translate it holified, made holy. For both he who sanctifies makes holy and those who are being made holy, sanctified, are all of one. We are all, Jesus is fully human. He's fully God, but he's also fully human, joined together in one person. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For its reason, he is not ashamed to call them brethren. You know, it really had to have irritated the serpent, Lucifer, that God made this creature out of the dirt. Adam, whose very name means is the Hebrew word for dirt, <laughs> and gave to him and his descendants 
this inheritance called the earth, which had been an angelic playground, an angelic resort, took it away from them and gave it to this guy called Dusty, called Dirt. Both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one for its reason. He's not ashamed to call them brethren. God the Son became a human being, fully a human being, in order to have the freedom to pay sin's penalty for us. But the angels are standing back. They know what God looks like. They all have had access to the throne room in heaven. They know what unrestrained holiness, power, glory looks like. And their jaws hit the floor. The fact that God has lifted up us creatures of dirt and said, they're going to be the ones receiving the fullness of the inheritance not the angels. He is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. In the midst of my brethren, Father, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. I will. Did you know Jesus walked by faith? He did. He put himself in the same regimen he calls us to walk in. I will put my trust in him, and again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. This is from, all from the Hebrew Scriptures. It was foretold that God the Son would become flesh and pay sins penalty for us and lift us up. Here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. When Satan engineered the fall of man recorded in Genesis chapter 3, he thought he had created an unsolvable problem. And God says, oh no, you don't know me. You don't know me. And Lucifer found out about mercy and love and grace. The angels knew nothing of those concepts. When the angels rose in rebellion, they weren't offered forgiveness. They don't know that exists. And God says, the Lord said to the serpent, from, I will make a seed from the woman and he will bruise your head, serpent, and you will bruise his heel. Well, as I've noted before, a head bruise on a serpent is lethal. <laughs> a heel bruise can be debilitating, but it's not typically lethal. Jesus rose from the dead. Satan will never recover. Inasmuch then as the children partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. He broke his power completely and released those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Lord, what will I do? What will I do? What will I do? I forgive you. I set you free. I actually welcome you into my presence with a glad, warm embrace. 
and he released those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham, those who imitate Abraham's faith. Those who imitate Abraham's faith. Genesis 15, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He does not give aid, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things... He, Jesus, had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. When you go to Jesus with your burdens, he's been there. He knows. He is able to comfort you with the comfort with which he was comforted by the Father. He is a loyal, faithful high priest. Therefore, in all things he has been made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful... Do you want mercy? A merciful and faithful high priest. It means he always responds in the same way. What does Satan say? Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. He whispers in our ear, oh, you can't expect God to forgive that again. There comes a point when God says, I give up on you. No. If that were the case, we'd all go to hell. (laughs) No, no. He is a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, making propitiation, satisfaction for the sins of the people. God looks at what his son did on the cross and says, I am satisfied. That was the very point that Jesus made in crying out, it is finished, to tell us die, it is paid in full. The righteous demands of the holy God were satisfied by what Jesus did on the cross. He is the Lamb of God who took away the guilt of our sin. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. He is there to hear us to strengthen us, to guide us, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted. The Bible says Jesus was tempted, tested, and all points as we are. And I would say in all points beyond what we are because he couldn't sin. So no matter how hard the temptation was, he could deal with it. He's been tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. For that, in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. We have a sympathetic ear, not only sympathetic, but one who is ready to respond with all the aid, all the help, all the fortification we need. He is able. Don't get drawn away because of the persecution you're experiencing. It is worth every bit of it. The day is coming. You will be stepping into the welcoming presence of God. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, Jesus said, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice in the face of persecution. A few minutes ago, we prayed for 17 
missionaries in Haiti who have been kidnapped. We don't know if they're still alive. We don't know where they are. Last, I, I have not heard anything since then. But God knows, and he is present with them. And I've shared this before. One of my favorite testimonies, Richard Wormbrandt, man who started a ministry this this centered up in Oklahoma is called Voice of the Martyrs. When he was in a Romanian dungeon for many years, 14 years, he said there were times when Jesus himself, which, and he was in a whole row of dungeons with other Christians, there were times when Jesus himself stepped in. And they had the direct fellowship with Jesus. Why? Because Jesus knew they needed that strengthening. And he gave them what they needed. Let's pray to that God because that is our God. He is loyal to us. Our Lord, we are thankful that we are children of mercy. And you love mercy. Your son paid sin's penalty for us on the cross. And and that was the greatest thing he could possibly do for us. But in fact, it was only the beginning. You purpose to pour out on us kingdom glory that we can't even imagine. We are asking, and I'm asking this as much for myself as anybody else here, that you would help us to not be negligent, not be pulled away from the daily devotion to you and the daily attention we ought to be giving to you because this is who you are, our Redeemer, our King, our High Priest, who has made a place, a welcoming place for us with your Father. We ask that you would enable us to do exactly what you've told us to do in your word. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Good Shepherd, Savior, amen.